This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Stu does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu. Use the promo code Stu and save 10 bucks off your subscription to Blaze TV. If you're watching YouTube, like the video right now. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell. Do all the things we really would appreciate it. Glenn Beck is going to be here today with the truth about Hulu's new 1619 project. Uh, what a disaster that is. Kevin McCarthy is uh, making some committee revisions. We'll get into that. But we start by doing the 2024 primary targets. Yes, it's that time of year. It's not at all that time of year, but we have to get an early start this time because have you noticed something that I've noticed? We screw this up every time. Every single time there's a chance to make some real gains, something happens and conservatives wind up screwing it up. And I think we should try to get an early start on this one. When we think about the primaries that are coming up in like a year, we have to think about how to get good candidates into the seats that are winnable and available uh, for conservatives to advance conservative and constitutional causes. And what happens, I think, often is we nominate really bad candidates or we nominate really good candidates but in really tough races or we spend a lot of time trying to nominate people in races that they just can't win. And I thought this time, why don't we take a systematic approach to this? Why don't we start early? And think about where is the low-hanging fruit? We're not clearly not capable of getting fruit that is high up in the tree. Can we at least focus on the low-hanging fruit? And that's my goal today, just to identify the low-hanging fruit. Find the races where we can find opportunities to get a good candidate, to go into a primary, knock off an incumbent, and then go on to win the general election. And we're going to start with the Senate, because I think this makes the most sense. And I want to talk to you about how we've come up with this philosophy. How do we pick the proper race to primary in 2024? There's a couple different things, because I think usually what conservatives do is say, well, that candidate is not conservative enough for me, and therefore we should primary them with a more conservative candidate, and everything will work out fine. And I, for one, am fine with that in many ways. Like, I'm not, I'd rather have a candidate who's good and take my chances than lose with some uh, crappy candidate. Uh, that doesn't always work, though. We can try that in some of these races, and that's fine. But I think we should start with thinking about a few different questions. Number one, who's the most conservative? Who's the least conservative? I'm just going to run through these questions first before we go through these lists. Who's the most conservative? Who is the least conservative? We should obviously primary the people who are the least conservative. Primarying someone who's really conservative already for a possible slight gain isn't worth the effort. Question number two, if we do primary them, will our conservative candidate actually win the primary? We can spend a lot of resources, a lot of time, a lot of effort recruiting somebody really good to run in a race that they just can't win in the primary. That's important. And maybe most importantly, if they win the primary, 
Will they actually win the general election? It's not worth it to primary your own guy out of office, even if he's mediocre, to replace him with a better candidate who then just loses by 10 points in the general election. That does us no good. Replacing a Republican who kind of sucks with a Democrat who's much, much worse, not an improvement. We combine these categories together with you know, a little bit of a formula I've been working on and come out with a final ruling. So let's go through these categories first. And I want to start with who is the least conservative? Now, as we go through this list, we'll start with the person who's the most conservative on the list. And I want you to know I wasn't just saying, hey, let me come up with a list of who I think is most conservative and least conservative. What I decided to do is go through several of the different organizations that do ratings on conservative candidates. And people like them. Conservative Review, for example. We have a list here uh, through Conservative Review that does that. Uh, FreedomWorks does it. The American Conservative Union does it. There's a bunch of organizations that do it. And I take all those and I threw them in a blender. And I came up with their average scores. Who is the most conservative and who is the least conservative? The least conservative ones are the ones we're going to want to try to primary. Now, there are nine candidates, only nine, that are Republican incumbents that may potentially be uh, running again. Uh, Nine are there. They haven't all announced they're running next time. We expect most of them to do so, though. So let's start with who is the least conservative. In last place, so the most conservative candidate here is Ted Cruz from Texas. Uh, In eighth place, Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee. Again, these are people you probably wouldn't want to primary because they're doing a pretty good job being conservative. Next up, Rick Scott from Florida. John Barrasso from Wyoming. Now we're getting to the middle of the pack here. Some of these candidates getting a little bit more moderate than you might like. Maybe these are potential targets, but this is just one of the categories. Next up, Deb Fisher from Nebraska. In fourth place, On the uh, list, Josh Hawley. I think a lot of people think Hawley's pretty darn conservative, but his ratings really don't hold up all that well. Number three, Roger Wicker from Mississippi. Second place, Kevin Kramer from North Dakota. And in first place, nobody's going to be surprised by the name Mitt Romney from Utah. Now, I want to just keep the list up for a second and look at these bottom three names. Roger Wicker, Kevin Kramer, these are not names that people talk about all that often. Yet they're in states where you can win. And why are we not getting a great senator from one of those states? Utah, Mitt Romney. Uh, We have Mike Lee in Mitt Romney. Mike Lee is a great senator. Why don't we have two Mike Lees? Why do we have one Mike Lee and one Mitt Romney? Why? We can all talk about winning races all across the country in purple states that are really difficult, and that's true. You gotta try to win those races too. But here is low-hanging fruit. The state of Utah should not be providing us with the worst senator on this list. That makes no sense. It doesn't make sense to get one from North Dakota or Mississippi either. None of that makes any sense. So that's our first category. Who is the least conservative? The answer to that one, Mitt Romney. All right. Next question. If we do pick a good conservative candidate and decide to primary these people, there's nine on the list. Can we win the actual primary? And the way you figure this out is to think about how popular these candidates are already among the people who will be making the selection. In this case, it would be Republican voters in their state. Now, it's important to understand what you're looking at here as we go through these numbers. Basically, what you have here is a situation where most people are partisan. Most people who are Republicans are going to approve of the Republican no matter what. 
That is fundamentally true in our country right now. Most of these decisions are made by people who occasionally change their mind, but a small slice of the population. Even Richard Nixon, as he was being ejected from office, had a majority of people in his party still approving of him. It's very standard in our country, and it has become more and more standard as we've gone on. Uh, The partisanship has grown. The divisions have grown. So people stick to their own team most of the time. These ratings, these are approval ratings in the state of the senator. They range typically between 60 and 80 percent. They're going to be 60 to 80 percent approval. So someone who's around 80 percent going to be really hard to knock off. I don't care how conservative you think he is. If if they're really, really popular in their state, you're going to have to spend an awful lot of resources to try to get a challenger that can knock somebody like that off. So let's go through this. If we primary them, can we win the primary? The number nine name on this list is John Barrasso. He's from Wyoming. He's got a 79% approval rating in his home state. He is the least likely to, uh, for us to be able to knock off if we wanted to in a primary. Some of these people you don't want to knock off as we covered on the last list. Number eight, Marsha Blackburn. She has a 78% approval rating in Tennessee. Number seven, Ted Cruz has a 75% approval rating in Texas. Number six, Kevin Kramer, a 73% approval rating in North Dakota. And there's a good example of what we're talking about. In North Dakota, uh, Kevin Kramer, who is not one of the more conservative candidates on our list, has still a 73% approval rating. So it might be kind of difficult to take out Kevin Kramer in a primary uh, with someone maybe the state isn't that familiar with. Number five, Rick Scott, 72% approval rating uh, among Republicans in Florida. Josh Hawley has a 72% approval rating in Missouri. Then we're up to number three here on the list. Deb Fisher, a 66% approval rating, meaning she is the th- she's the third most likely for us to knock off in a primary if we wish to. Number two is Roger Wicker at 63%. Now, before I go on, I want to highlight what I said here at the beginning. Typically, these numbers are between 60 and 80% approval rating. 60 and 80%. On our list, we have John Barrasso at 79%, all the way up to number two, Roger Wicker at 63%. I can't stress to you how bizarre the next number I'm going to read to you is. But I want to be clear, this is a real number. I am not making this up. By far, the most vulnerable senator, at least according to polling, would be Mitt Romney at 41%. He is 22 points behind every single other face on this list. He is not popular in Utah, and he is the least conservative in the entire field. Our next question on the list is, if we decide to come up with a conservative candidate and we get that conservative candidate into the primary and they win that primary, that's not a victory. The victory is only if we can replace this incumbent with a better incumbent. And that is where we look at next. If we win the primary, Can we win the general? Now, what's interesting about this list, and I'll just give you all these at once because, frankly, uh, it's somewhat of a boring list. These are all really red states. In fact, the the truth here is that pretty much you can win all these races relatively easily. Let's go through it quickly. Um, The hardest race to win in this field would be Rick Scott in Florida. And again, Florida, you saw, has moved even farther to the right uh, here in the last election and seems to be basically a red state at this point. The second hardest state to win in this field is Texas. And that should be a home run, an easy home run. So this shouldn't be that difficult. 
The next one is Missouri with Josh Hawley, Roger Wicker, Mississippi, Deb Fisher in Nebraska, Mitt Romney, fourth in Utah, uh, Marsha Blackburn, Tennessee is third, Kevin Kramer, number two in North Dakota, and number one is John Barrasso, the easiest one in Wyoming. So the question is, take all of this together. Can we find a, a candidate that's maybe too moderate for our tastes? Can we replace them with a good conservative candidate? Can we win that primary if we go through all the effort to find that candidate and put them in the primary? And then if they win that primary, can we win the general election and actually improve things? Because so often we go through this whole process and everybody's talking about stuff and everybody's going back and forth and everybody spends millions and millions and millions of dollars. And if we do not get all of these pieces to fall together perfectly, at the end of the day, we're worse off. This is one of the reasons why Republicans hate primary challenges. Number one, they like their own power. Number two, they don't want to spend any money. Number three, they'd rather uh, spend that money, of course, on um, the general election. But number three is they think they're going to lose the general election if you take the incumbent off. You got to be careful. You got to know what you're doing. You got to be very deliberate about this process. So let's go through the list. Who is the person we should least likely uh, primary here? Who's the person that it makes no sense to primary? The person we should leave off our primary lists. We start with number nine, and that is Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is a combination of all these categories, came out as the the candidate we should not think about primarying most of all. Yes, congratulations, Ted. In fact, the first three came out really close to each other. Next up was Rick Scott in Florida, uh, who's done a pretty good job down there. And number seven, Marsha Blackburn in Tennessee. These three really kind of get into that situation where you think to yourself, there's no real point here. Could you improve on some of these? I mean, you might not like one of these candidates. You might not like a couple of their votes. But generally speaking, we're getting some bang for our buck here. These are states that, uh, that, that uh, are Republican states anyway. We should have a good senator from these states. And so far, these three senators have held up pretty well when it comes to their voting records and what they've done. So top three, Ted Cruz, Rick Scott, Marsha Blackburn. The next batch is kind of in the middle. You might say to yourself, I kind of like them. You might say to yourself, I don't like them very much. You also might say, hey, if we can find the perfect candidate, it's worth giving this a shot. Again, most of these states are states that if you get to the general election, you're probably going to win anyway. Next up, sixth place, Josh Hawley is the next one. Again, is anyone going to primary Josh Hawley? Possibly. But uh, he's pretty connected to the base right now, even though his voting record isn't quite as good as some of these other candidates. Uh, John Barrasso is next in Wyoming and Deb Fisher is in Nebraska and fourth place. So here I feel like six, five and four. You're in that medium area. If you have the perfect candidate. All right. Give it a shot. I think it could work out. Might be worth the effort. You might be able to improve on some of the uh, performance by these senators, but they're not necessarily obvious home runs. Still might be worth uh, giving it a shot, especially if you can find, can I keep saying this, especially if you can find somebody good. Can you find somebody good? Recruiting is important here. Find somebody good. Find somebody good. Then you can get them into the race and they can actually potentially win it. Okay, top three. These are the three candidates that I think we should probably seriously consider giving a strong effort to find a primary challenger because we can improve in these states. We can do better than this. There's no reason for these states to have these problems. Number three, Roger Wicker in Mississippi. We know what Mississippi looks like on the map when they 
when they put it up on presidential night, you know what it looks like? The second the polls closes, it just turns red. That's what happens. You have an easy win for any Republican who makes it through with some potential, if they're committing crimes or, I don't know, uh, you know, they're responsible for a genocide somewhere in the, maybe at that point they lose. It's possible you could lose in Mississippi, but man, it would be hard. A, any competent Republican can win that race. You just have to get through the primary. Can you improve off Roger Wicker? We looked at the performance of Roger Wicker. His voting record is just not good enough. It's not good enough for Mississippi. If he was in Maine, eh. If he was in Massachusetts at the senator, as a senator, eh, you know, we'd live with it, right? He's not. He's in freaking Mississippi. We should have a great senator from Mississippi. This should be easy. It should be a win. And if you're in Mississippi and you're thinking to yourself, am I going to vote for Roger Wicker again? Has he earned your vote again? Because I don't think he has. Looking at his performance, seems like we could do better. And remember, these votes count not just for Mississippi, but they count for all of us as we go through this. So why do we need to give Mitch McConnell another easy vote there? We could do better there. Roger Wicker, number three. Number two, Kevin Kramer in North Dakota. Do you know anything about Kevin? Have you ever heard the name Kevin Kramer before? Have you? If you live in North Dakota, you probably have. If you're outside of North Dakota, let me guess, you probably haven't. He's making a big impact across the country. Is he a thought leader? What's he doing? His voting record is really mediocre. I mean, and, and we complain a lot about people like Mitch McConnell. Kramer's voting record is much worse than Mitch McConnell's. Mitch McConnell's no superhero here by any means. I'm not a fan. But like, these guys, we're, we're at the point, we're, we're worse than Mitch McConnell. Do we really need, in North Dakota, can't we just get our choice of somebody really, really good? Shouldn't we have a Mike Lee? Shouldn't we have a Ted Cruz? Shouldn't we have a Rand Paul? Shouldn't we have someone we're excited about in a state like North Dakota that, is, that conservatives can win in? I think so. Look, Kevin Kramer might be the nicest guy in the world. I don't know. But I will say his voting record does not hold up to this test. And maybe, just maybe, this is another state where we should come up with a primary challenger, somebody good. Primary challenger, he's not, he's fairly popular in his state, but I think beatable. And look, you get through that primary, you're probably getting into the Senate. So number two is Kevin Kramer. And that leads me to number one. The candidate we should primary most. The most obvious candidate. The candidate that should absolutely have an, an incredible primary challenger that should announce really soon and get the ball going. Who could that be? Well, he was the least conservative candidate in our entire field. He is, has the lowest approval rating in his state among Republicans who will be actually doing the voting in the entire field and has one of the safest states for general election victory of anyone in the field. Yes, number one in a landslide is Mitt freaking Romney. Why, why oh why do we have Mitt Romney? Why? We know his name. His name is a name we've heard before. What else has he done? Why? Why are we doing this? Why would he get another six years in the Senate? 
That can stop in 2024, but only if we do something about it, you know, now. I honestly don't know how good of a campaigner uh, Kevin Kramer or Roger Wicker are. Can they use uh, all sorts of, uh, you know, power tricks to stay in, in office? Probably. I don't know. We'll see. But Mitt Romney is right there. He's available. The state is conservative. And while I know he's a good, a well-known figure in, in uh, Utah, I understand that. It's true. He is a well-known figure in the state. And he won't be easy to beat. He's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of power. He's got a lot of a conne- a connections. He will get a fortune from big-time donors to make sure this primary challenge goes down. But isn't it worth it? Why would we leave the worst senator in this entire field in a state like Utah, where we already have someone like Mike Lee? Why not get someone else like Mike Lee, somebody who's actually good, somebody who will do the job and actually represent the people of Utah, instead of constantly showboating and, uh, and trying to stand up on a soapbox and make point after point after point to try to make conservatives feel terrible about themselves. That seems to be the only thing this guy does. This is a time to make a change. You can do it. If you're in Utah, think about who you think would be a good candidate in Utah. Who do you think could come in and beat Mitt Romney in a primary? It can be done. Conservatives in the state are already done with this guy. 41% approval among Republicans. He's beatable and we should beat him. We've been sort of brainwashed into believing the only way to grow our money for retirement is to risk it in the stock market. But it's not really true. You can reach your financial goals and dreams without taking any unnecessary risks. Bank on yourself is a better way to grow and protect your hard-earned money. This retirement plan alternative has never had a losing year in over 160 years. And if you don't know the details of this, you can get all the information from them. But this is not some like crazy scheme. This has been something that has been guaranteed, predictable. It has shown growth through all sorts of ups and downs in the economy and given you the retirement income that you need. No luck, no skill, no guesswork is required. Your plan doesn't go backward when the markets tumble. Both your principal and your growth are locked in. This is a tax-free situation, a retirement income that you need. You're in control of it. You can get access to your money for any purpose with no questions asked and without government penalties on restrictions of how much you can take out or when you can take it out. You get a free report with all the details from Bank on Yourself. Get the strategy, understand it, make sure it's right for you and see if you want this program. It's, it's guarantees, it's got predictability and it's got control. Bankonyourself.com slash stew. Bankonyourself.com slash stew. Bankonyourself.com slash stew. Check it out today. I'm joined once again by Glenn Beck. His newest special coming up next, 9 p.m. Eastern on Blaze TV. Don't miss it. It's tonight. It's debunking outrageous lies from the new Hulu series, 1619 Project. And you can catch it right here on Blaze TV. Glenn, looking great. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah. Really? Well, I think it's my New Year's goal. I, you know, I'm trying to, you know, usually I do New Year's goals and I don't. I don't make it, so mm-hmm. I thought I was going to give up on it and not do it, but I decided, what the heck, my goal, 40 pounds, gain it, an extra 40 <laughs> pounds this year, 
and uh, I'm ahead. I'm ahead. Yeah, you, you don't have to do it all in January. Well, you, you I know. Whole year to space I might, it out. I might okay. reach for a higher goal. Oh, wow. I might See, do that. That's, yeah, that's you never bad. know. You never know. Uh, it's uh, it's been an interesting it's been an interesting time. You are um, you're. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I mean, it, you've had some stressful moments here yes. recently. Yeah. You didn't join us last week. I didn't. Uh, on, on your normal spot here on Wednesdays. No, I didn't. And you were out, mm-hmm. and you've had some. You've had some stress. Is what there a stress? Are you, are you trying to make this stressful as well? What are you? What are you aiming to do here? I don't know. Something bad. I, just thought, I don't know how it's going to turn out. But. I just want to poke. I just want to poke, see what flair comes out. Well, I will say, as a, as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, as you know, mm. they're in the playoffs right now, going to the championship game. I'm, I'm, I'm a stress ball every weekend because I live or die with a stupid and football you team. And you know that the Eagles are going to disappoint you. That's usually my <laughs> assumption, yeah, know, and right. so far it hasn't happened this right. year. But, like, I know when I get it to that stress. <laughs> oh, it will. No. <laughs> so when I get into that stressful mode, basically to solve that is the yeah. medicine of ice cream or chips. Yeah. Or are you at that same time? Because you've had some stress Yeah, recently. my wife said to me just the other day, uh, I walked in and I was eating something. And uh, after I finished, she said, you know, that's nowhere near <laughs> on your diet. And I said... <laughs> Thank you for letting me finish it before you said that. Oh, that's so, a good one. That's love. That's, that, that is, is love. That is, wow. That is true love. That's a real, yeah. that's a keeper. You right. got a keeper right there. Right. Okay, let me move on to your special tonight. Um, you're talking about the 1619 Project, mm-hmm. which, I, you know, it's a new Hulu series. Of course, it was a book before. It's seemingly turning into a curriculum. Uh, it is, is the most dangerous poison out there. And it's lies. It's, it's, it's total lies. and complete lies. And debunked is, lies. Right. It is it is a stated reimagining of our history. So its stated goal is to say, what if facts didn't exist? Okay, <laughs> right. that really yeah. is. What if facts didn't exist? How could we imagine this actually happened? And, and let's look for the worst possible ways. We're going to debunk it. It is so important. Your kids are going to get this curriculum. Your kids are going to be taught this. We, we have to preserve the nation. And I really believe the only way to do a lot of it is to indoctrinate our kids. Just inoculate them with as much truth as we possibly can give them in hopes that at some point they'll go, eh, that's not right. That's not right. Um, and have the courage to say that's not right and stand against the machine that is grinding this garbage out and feeding our children poison. Mm. Yeah, I was, I was reading something on the New York Times website the other day, which is, of course, awful. And uh, <laughs> as I'm scrolling through it, I see an ad for, for 1619. I think it was the book version. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, like... They're still promoting They're this? still promoting this? Yeah. Like, we, we've had years of debate over this alternative history. You've had great qualified, even lefty-style mm-hmm. uh, professors and historians come out and say, this is garbage. Yeah. And they're, they're not on our side. They're just on the side of truth. This is garbage. That came right. out, like, within the first six months. Right. It's still going on. And now it's not only going on, but it's advancing. It's now right. becoming a school curriculum. It's now becoming a Hulu series. Like, what? Because well, you'd never all... get a, a Hulu series about conservative versions of history. Hey, let's come up with an alternative history where, you know, uh, all CEOs found the country and the evil CEOs. You're never going to get that. No, you get that from the Hallmark Channel a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Christmas, you get the, <laughs> well, CEOs, the Christmas movies. The, uh, yeah, yeah the Christmas movies. But, like, there's no, that would never happen. 
And yet here we, they're producing this. They're dumping money into it. They're still selling copies of it. And now they're targeting our kids. Right, because they have a vision of uh, a reimagined America. They have a vision of where we're going. And you have to destroy everything that was before you can rebuild. So they have to destroy all this. And it's not a coincidence. It's not like they're blind. They all are in on it. They know, and they just happen to have gone to all the same schools, have the same indoctrination. They, most likely everybody involved is a Marxist, and they know exactly what they're aiming for. And they're not alone. The system is built for them. We're the outcasts now. We are the, we're the ones that are on the sidelines. We're the revolutionaries. We are. Are we still in that moment where we surround them, like you said back in you know, Fox oh, back in the day? Oh, my gosh, yes. Is that still true? If we could get um, the Republicans and the Democrats to stop fighting and focus on the Bill of Rights, we would, surround, we would pound these guys into oblivion in about 20 minutes. There's just not enough of them, but they have convinced the parties because they've been infiltrated. Both parties keep arguing about this stuff that doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter. Make sure you keep people pitted against each other. Okay, just keep growing that split everybody apart. Keep them arguing that way. You don't have time to say like we did on radio today. Do you realize what's coming with tech? in the next two years, by 2030, you will not recognize your life. You won't recognize it. Life in America by 2030 will be completely different just because of tech. By 2032, 2033, you won't be able to keep up with the announcements. Every day, it'll be another miracle. Wait a minute, we did what? Every day, you won't have time to decide whether something is good or bad. Well, just keep us busy for the next five to seven years, and you'll never be able to keep up. Yeah. Have you done, you, well, you did a show this week on GPT. Yeah, right? Right? GPT, yeah. So, have you tried arguing with it? No. Okay, argue with it. <laughs> really? So set up arguments, mm. and it will argue back, okay? Stu, it's brilliant. It's not always right, but it's brilliant. It, it's like playing chess with a chess master, okay? Mm. It, it, and it's in its infancy. Yeah, I mean, okay? there was a story that came out today that said uh, they tried to put chat GPT through to see if it could get a Wharton MBA. Yeah. And it got a B minus on the test, I right. think. B or a B minus, right. it passed. Okay, how are you going to be able to keep up? This is the argument that we made 10 years ago mm. uh, when we first heard about uh, Elon Musk and its his brain interface, what is that called? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know what it is. is. Mm-hmm. So the brain interface, and he's saying it must happen or, or people become monkeys. It's, it's the planet of the apes, okay? We are dumbed down and dumbed down and dumbed down so far. The only way you'll be able to understand conversations, understand them, is if you have a link to chat GPS here. You have access to all of the information because it'll happen that fast. How long does it take to write that monologue that you put the parameters in? Seconds. Seconds. Mm -hmm. Seconds. Seconds. Um, 
Is this something that is, because uh, you, you make the prediction of like, if by 2030, you're not going to be able to recognize your life. And I feel like those types of predictions are usually dismissed. They're like the flying car prediction. However, I think we all realize that seven years ago or whatever, it was, I guess it was a little bit longer than that, 14 years ago now, was the introduction of the iPhone. And the, the difference in our daily life and how we spend our time from then to now is completely different. How we do everything. Banking. Everything. Banking, food, deliveries, movies, Transportation. all of it. All of yeah. it. Commerce. Yes, all of yeah. it has changed because of the iPhone. That was 14 years ago. You now would have a great number of people in America saying, I, I would give up my arm before I would give up my phone. You could make that deal, I bet. I have to take one, your arm or your phone, and I bet you most people would pick the arm. Get rid of it. Another M. Night Shyamalan movie coming up on that, I think. That's (laughs) that's right around the corner. No, but I mean, you you can't live without it. I say to my wife all the time, she's like, Glenn, I can't can't keep up with our life without this. And I said, honey, we did it 14 years ago. Why can't we do it now? So what's your concern level on this? Because we were talking about the iPhone as a grand experiment on society where people went from nothing to six, eight hours a day on this thing. And we all just kind of tried it all at the same time. And let's see what happens. And by 2012, our suicide rates started to go like this. Yep. 2020, our suicide rates went almost straight up, mm-hmm. and that's all because of social media. I, I, I'm, I tend to great, agree, great, yeah, great, yeah. I tend to agree with you on that, uh, on the cause of that, and it's hard to deny. I mean, you, they all change right at the same time. It's the only really large societal change that happened right then. So, if that was bad, what does this next period look like? So, my next book, we still haven't named. Um, and the, uh, what I keep coming back to is uh, the Great Reset Part Two, the end of humanity. Um, human beings will still be around, but they're not going to be like we are now. You will be augmented. You will be structured. You will be told what to do. You will not be free. That's what we're up against. And I really think that, um, you know, God saved his people from this kind of stuff with the Tower of Babel. Um, He confused their language and spread the people because if they could do this, they could do anything, okay, in their arrogance. So he confused their language so they couldn't talk to each other, couldn't communicate to each other, so they, they spread out. Our language is ones and zeros. And whether that, you know, the World Economic Forum says that a global uh, power outage and a global um, Internet outage is coming in the next two years. Okay, While a power outage would kill about 250 million Americans in the first year uh, and would be horrible, a outage of the Internet may not be so bad. And if our language of ones and zeros is confused, I'm not, I'm not one that thinks that that's so bad. I, I think we are going to need divine intervention to save humanity. Hmm. 
Uh, one of the things I know that is, you see is a big key here to stopping this is making sure people know the facts. And as you, when we were talking about the 1619 Project, uh, you're, you've got your special coming up tonight. You can have a historian say something, right? Like, and, th- and that's important. Make sure they, they, they can look at it and they can, dissolve, they can kind of boil all this stuff down for people to understand. But you're bringing the receipts tonight. Like, you've got the actual documents showing this stuff is false. You're, this is you part of the, it. what I'll show tonight is part of what Mercury One calls the Eiler Collection. We got it from Mr. Eiler. He gave us a very, very good deal. The Smithsonian wanted this. Mm. Um, and they were willing to pay a lot more than we paid. We're making payments every month still. Um, but this is the largest collection of Pilgrim and Jamestown artifacts and documents in private hands in the world. Okay. And almost every piece of it disproves the 1619 Project. And it's one thing for me to stand here and say, oh, this guy was a bad guy or this guy was a good guy. No, this is what they meant. And it's another to show it to you in their own handwriting, to show you what they recorded, what they were thinking. Modern historians do not go to the original source. They can't. They discredit the original source and say, well, in their diaries, they lied. What? <laughs> and how do you know that? Yeah. You know, where, where are you getting this? It's and a, so all of our history is being rewritten 200, 400 years later. Right. It's the living document theory of the Constitution applied to history. Exactly right. Oh, my God. Exactly right. Well, so tonight... We bring the receipts. It's going to be really impressive. Glenn Beck, uh, the new special is Debunking Outrageous Lies from the new Hulu series, 1619 Project. It's coming up next, 9 p.m. Eastern here on Blaze TV. Make sure you get a Blaze TV subscription if you don't have one yet. BlazeTV.com slash stew. Enter the promo code stew. You'll save 10 bucks. Glenn, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Well, we have an announcement from Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama. They say they have no classified documents. Which means the next announcement is going to be that they have classified documents. That's definitely the next step in this. (laughs) Actually, the next step might be uh, Al Gore and Dick Cheney saying they have classified documents because they weren't on this list. And then after that... Barack Obama and George W. Bush and Bill Clinton will come out and say, oh, by the way, we were searching. We decided to look in our garage next to our Corvette. And yes, tons of documents. The, the whole garage is like made out of documents, which was surprising to us. We, are, we apologize, but that's the way this is. Everybody seemingly has documents. They say they don't. Do you believe them, though? I mean, honestly, they've got these presidential libraries. Really, there's nothing, nothing snuck in there that's classified. Do you believe that? I don't believe it. I don't believe. It. I'm going to go over there and search myself. I'll be right back. No. Um, okay, uh, Eric Swalwell is off his committee. Elon Omar off her committee. Adam Schiff's off of his committees. Uh, they were all kicked off of the House Intel Committee. Omar was dropped from the um, Foreign Affairs Committee. This is something that uh, Kevin McCarthy promised if he got in. And this is something uh, obvious. Uh, again, like we talk about this all the time. When you do something that's a little questionable and against standards and against practices, you have to understand you're setting a new standard, a new practice for the other side to follow. When they get power, they will do the same thing to you. I don't like that. I don't think that's a smart thing to do. People like to, oh, well, we have power. Let's just do this crazy thing no one's ever done before. Well, what happens when the other side gets power? 
this is what's happening. Uh, they kicked off, uh, you know, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene off of her committees uh, because they thought she was too crazy. Well, we think Elon Omar is really crazy. We think Eric Swalwell is a tum- complete and utter dirtbag and should not have any job, let alone be on an important committee. Adam Schiff is one of the lowest forms of human being we have. We, if humanity has produced a wide swath of qualities, he's at the low end of that quality uh, swath, if you will. Adam Schiff sucks. Of course, we're going to kick him off of these committees. And this is the problem. Next time Democrats now get in, they're going to kick off three of ours or five of ours. And this is going to escalate forever and ever and ever and ever. This is just what happens. Uh, it's like, you know, it's, it's essentially what, you know, these social media co- uh, companies do. They just start kicking people off. But the problem is we never get control of the social media companies. I guess maybe Elon did. We'll see if uh, maybe Elon will start kicking off the other side. I don't think that's what he's about, but we'll, we'll see. By the way, uh, Donald Trump got his Facebook account back today. Uh, now, is he going to use it? He hasn't used the Twitter account yet, I don't think. And people are talking about him. Maybe he's going to come back on now that he's trying to campaign again. We will see. He got his uh, f- Facebook and Instagram accounts reinstated today. He's got his Twitter account back. We'll see if he decides to use it or stay on his own uh, service. Uh, and finally, uh, a new poll out that Trump leads Biden in a hypothetical 2024 rematch. Uh, it's pretty close, 45 to 41. Uh, but that's a switch from the last time they took this poll. Biden was leading it. Maybe uh, Trump has sort of weathered some of his down moments from November and December and is turning it around. We will see as we go forward. He's still the only person in either, really on either side in the race. See how long that lasts. Back in a second. It was a long day at work yesterday. I was here for a long time. And when I left here, I was on my way home and I was hungry and I wanted to eat something good. I didn't want to get some crappy thing. I was just like, you know, frozen food or whatever. I wanted something good, delicious, filling, healthy. What if you could get those packages without having to do any work? That's the, that's the key, because I'm not going to come home and chop up a bunch of vegetables. I'm not going to come home and do a bunch of work. I'm too tired at that point to do anything. That's why I have Factor. Factor's ready-to-eat meals. They're fantastic. You're going to love these things. If you get Factor, you can not only skip the trip to the grocery store, but you can skip the chopping and the prepping and the cleaning, all that. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, and all you have to do is heat and enjoy. Factor has the meals uh, for you to help, you know, no matter what diet plan you're on, if you're on keto, if you're on uh, you're watching your calories, if you want like a vegetarian thing, they've got a protein plus uh, situation as well. They have 34 chef-prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options. You can always try stuff. You can say, I don't like that particular thing. You can skip a week if you have, maybe have a couple extras that you want to bring over. You can do whatever you want. Factor is super easy to customize. You can just choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. I love these things. We have them, you know, several times a week. Head to factor75.com slash America60. Use the code America60 and you'll get 60% off your first box. The code is America60 at factor75.com slash America60. Factor75.com slash America60. Get 60% off your first box. It's Factor Meal Delivery. With all the good news, I hate to give you something that is going to bring you down a little bit, but tax refunds may shrink this year. (laughs) With all the crap going on, really, they're going to take even more of our money. There's uh, one deduction going from $3,600 to $2,000, another going from $8,000 to only $2,100, another $600 deduction going to $0. But don't worry, if you bought an electric car, you can get a $7,500 deduction. 
if it was assembled here in the United States, if you bought like the overwhelming majority of electric cars that are not assembled here in the United States, you're, you're out of luck. You don't get that deduction. But don't worry, everything will be fine. And uh, you have, don't you have, an, at some point, don't you have enough money? <laughs> you know, back in a second. Now, if you're already a subscriber to Blaze TV, you know how valuable that subscription is. It's blazetv.com slash stew, by the way. blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew and you can save 10 bucks. We talked to Glenn earlier today about his special, which is coming up next. And it's going to be looking into some really amazing historical documents to push back against this narrative that's coming out of 1619, the 1619 Project. That's the New York Times. It's Hulu now. And it's coming to your kids' and grandkids' school classrooms. So... Make sure you check this one out. It's on uh, blazetv.com slash stew coming up next. 